Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests will tell their story with the help of 12 questions in just 30 minutes. Today, we are really excited to be joined by Chris Gibbons. Chris was an aspiring marine biologist turned agency recruiter who helps people grow their careers now. He is the author of his own book entitled, Did You Even Read My Resume? Beat the HR Bots and Land Job Interviews. It's his take on resume writing and how to increase your chances of getting that interview. Chris, welcome. We are really excited to have you here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate that. How are you? I'm I'm good, and uh, I'm really I'm really happy to talk to you. And I want to start kind of with the book, uh, HR bots getting through the algorithm, getting the resume read is is a real issue uh, for a lot of job seekers. How how has this affected you? And what is the first thing people should know when they are going up against those bots? I think well, firstly, I mean, in terms of the coming from my recruitment background having read through thousands, thousands of CVs, I mean, a lot of people miss the point that the, the, the CV is a sales document and that its goal is to get you an interview. So being a recruiter, I can only help so many people. Writing the book is my my goal is to help more people and to to everyone, you know, everyone in some way, I think, has something something to offer and it's just about the book is about helping those people increase their chances of getting the interviews and getting getting the jobs they want um so that's you know the information a lot of the information has primarily come from the conversations i've had with hiring managers so it's not coming from a in my opinion it's coming from the, the conversations I've had with hiring managers on how to make sure your, your CV stands out. And obviously beat those, beat the ATS, beat the HR bots, get get yourself in front of the hiring manager, stand out and and get the job ultimately, right? No, that's that's a great answer. And I love the way that you compare the resume to a sales document because I, I don't think most people think that way. And even as you said it, I don't I don't think I considered it that way. So that it's a it's a great way to kind of reposition yeah. what you're doing. Uh, in those what, conversations with oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was, ju- I was just gonna say I think a lot of people write their CV from how great, you know, from from their opinion, you know, the the value that or what they've achieved rather than thinking about, you know, who's reading this, what's going to stand out to them. And like, that's why, you know, it's, it's absolutely a sales document. You've really got to sell yourself. And, and that, that was my kind of question as far as who's reading it. In your conversations with the hiring managers, are, are they looking for candidates with that well-written interview or is, is preference given to somebody they may know already or somebody that may have a relationship? How, how, can, how can a well-written resume or a well-targeted uh, application compete with somebody that has kind of the inside track? Yeah, that's a good question. I've more written this resume, sorry, this book from the point of, you know, going through the job boards, you know, applying to jobs as opposed to going in via the, you know, the hidden job market through people, you know, referrals, who you know. Um, there's there's always going to be, the fact is there's always someone out there who's going to be better than you for the job or there's always going to be, 
you know, the hiring manager knows this person, so they'll get the role. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to giving yourself that best possible chance, ultimately. That's that's yeah. good advice. That's that's good advice and a good way to think about it. What is the most common mistake that you still that you still see or that you have seen in in helping people write that uh, better resume? Most common, I think there's there's probably a few, you know that that all add up. Um, definitely not tailoring tailoring your resume to the specific job. Sending generic resumes, I see that a lot. Being in recruitment and recruiting a specific role and having resumes come through that you know uh, don't even don't even hit the the job briefing. Um, you're just not going to get an interview with you know with resumes that aren't tailored. I think that's probably the key one. T- too much information, you know, I'm, it's not an autobiography. It's it's a resume, so. You know, keep it short and sharp. Not enough information. You know, too short. No, you know, missing the key points, the key words that need to need to be really jumping out. Um, I think those are probably the the most common ones. There's other things that you know, um, that that can be a factor, but I think those are the those are the main ones, definitely. Yeah, and that's and that's can be the difficult part as far as the job seeker because they don't want to be too short, they don't want to be too long, uh, so they're kind of playing the uh, exactly what's what's right. right. It's and that and that's the thing. There's everyone's going to have their own opinion on on how long a resume should be, how how it should be formatted, how it should be written. But I think if you if you if you keep it simple, which is what. I've tried to do in the book and just keep it to the nuts and bolts of the job that you're going for. That's, that's probably the best advice you can get. That that's, that's really helpful. And and with the book, what I know it's, it's fairly new. What is some of the uh, feedback or response that you're getting? Um, Had really positive response. Um, Someone referred to it as a masterclass on resume writing. So <laughs> I don't know. I I, I definitely <laughs> take that. Um, yeah, there's there's been quite positive response from you know, especially before I obviously published it. You know, I gave it out to to you know some yeah some friends, family to to kind of read read over it, get get their thoughts. You know, I've given it to other professionals in the recruitment industry who I know to to proofread over it and make sure it's right. And you know, the feedback has been that all, all the content's there. Um so it's been it's been I think it's been pretty well received. And you know the thing is it's there to I'm trying to help people. So I'm trying to give as much value as possible. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear the positive feedback, and it's a good it's a good uh, kind of strategy to have uh, people look at, it, especially people that are close to you up front, so they can uh, weigh in on their thoughts because they know Absolutely. they know your style as well. Um, writing a book is different than working with you know, working as a recruiter, working with others, trying to help them land jobs, fill roles. How did Absolutely. you start that process, or what was that like for you to write that? I'm assuming this is your first book. That's the first book. Yeah. What was that process um, like? I think, I mean, 
That's the thing, right? The the book was inspired from my recruiting experience and wanting to help, wanting to help people. Um, writing a book is, I mean, it can be pretty frustrating at times. It's, you know, you're trying to get your ideas from your head out on paper. And the one thing, the one thing I suppose I really learned is just write and just let it all come out and then you and then I can organize it and section it and put it into paragraphs and do all the editing later. Um it's also about having conversation, you know, having conversations with you know with other people who I respect in the industry and and talking to them about my ideas as well. And um and and the, the other thing, right, is that a lot of it was going back through my, you know, through my conversations and the notes that I'd had with hiring managers around what they what they have been looking for, because those those are the conversations I'm having with hiring managers because I'm putting CVs in front of them, so I need to I need to make sure that the CVs as a recruiter that I'm putting in front of them are meeting their requirements and are what's standing out. So, um, yeah, it's been it was it, it was a long process. Um, I did initially release it under a different under a different title, um, Career Secrets, but I just I've so I've re-released it under um under Did You Even Read My Resume? Because I just felt Career Secrets didn't really it just didn't really say what I wanted it to say in the title, you know. Because we always wonder when we even when I was going through that job screening process and submitting my CV, you know, you always wonder, does, does anybody actually read my resume or is, am I just getting these automated responses? Yeah. It's, it's kind of almost an, a nice analogy for, for what the book is about that if it, it might have all of the information you want in the inside or the heart of it, but if it is not packaged correctly or doesn't have a catchy title or opening line, yeah, exactly. the hiring manager or or in this case reader may not get to it so that's it's kind of a, a good uh, a good tale within a tale um being being a recruiter it seems like there are many priorities that you're balancing from working with hiring managers Ooh. working with uh job applicants and that they can be competing at times how yeah. how do you balance that and what what does uh how do you stay kind of kind of ahead and and how do you keep everyone happy with with all those moving parts so um it's about i like to think of it as spinning plates you're spinning plates and you're trying to stop the plates from crashing uh so it's really hard it's as a recruiter you're you're meeting candidates you're writing up profiles you're meeting with clients you you're you know who you've got good relationships with you're you're doing bd so you're trying to get new clients on board um you've got administration things to to be to be doing um it's a tough gig it really is a tough gig um but it's a really great gig and it's really rewarding you know it's you know coming coming back to my marine you know marine science was great like i had some great adventures went to antarctica worked on fishing boats but in terms of the growth that i've had as a person i've never you know being in recruitment now six years i never would have got the amount of growth I've got in recruitment if I'd stayed in marine science, you know, being, you know, being a scientist, thinking analytically and, you know, socially struggling to even string two words 
together to you know in a in a conversation whereas you know that's the great thing about recruitment is is putting yourself out there go, going out meeting all different types of people and and having to um be socially aware of you know being in meeting with someone and and someone's not that great conversationally and then you've got to hold the conversation you have to carry the conversation and build you know build a relationship with that person so honestly for me I, I feel like it's been a great career step um you know just because of of the amount of growth I've had as a person and you know and you know moving in new directions like with becoming an author as well a self-published author so you know the the learnings there there's constant learning that's all I can say uh, no I love that answer I, I wrote down so many things I want to follow up on uh the first of which <laughs> if you could talk about that growth I'm sure when you started six years ago you did not envision uh writing a book especially on resume writing as part of that journey so what what has the growth specifically looked like or what what do you think of first when, when you mentioned that in terms of the growth, good question. Um, I think it's, it's, it is, it's, it, I think the first part of that is really you, you're putting yourself out there, picking up the phone, cold calling a client you've never spoken to before, you know, someone you've never spoken to before and not knowing how, you know, not knowing how they're going to react to you. Um, I've never had a bad experience with that, by the way. You know, I've, I've had people say, look, I've got the recruiters I work with and I'm not looking to work with anyone else and, you know, and that's fine. Um, but it's also, you know, it's also about trying to build new relationships, turning turning a, you know, a cold relationship into a friendship as well, building new friendships. So, you know, I've done a lot of that. Um, and I think it... It's the confidence that comes with that as well. You just naturally build your confidence. Almost, you know, like on a computer screen, computer screen pixel by pixel. Over time, you just build your confidence pixel by pixel. Um, so definitely think confidence has increased. You know, that that ability to hold a conversation with, you know, to have conversations with people who have got really nothing in common with you and... You know, you, you're in this meeting with someone, and you've 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 got to hold that conversation. So the the whole social side, um, growth in terms of being able to look on the understand the whole job hiring process as well, and really understand what what goes on. And you know, if I knew what I knew, knowing what I know now about recruitment and business development and and all that. I would have been a much better marine biologist if I knew what I knew now back then, because then I would have been able to go out and get my own work on. Um, but I mean, I did do that in some ways, but I would do it a lot better if I had those recruitment skills. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that translates to almost any field, the, the ability to lead and, and have others you know, come together, collaborate, work together and, and in essence yeah. follow you or follow what you're doing is really the key to almost any any field because that's if, if you can generate that kind of business that kind of business development um, you'll likely be successful in what you're doing um, I, I wrote down because i think it's really interesting the self and socially aware 
aspect that you mentioned because I don't while that is probably the most important uh, skill personally and professionally I, I don't find that most people have that um, especially as you reference mm. you might be in a room in a conversation with someone you have nothing in common with but given the the reason that you're having that conversation it's got to be pushed forward so if you are the one who uh, can realize all right I have to take the lead here or I have to listen or I have to ask this um, puts you kind of in a position that not a lot of people are so uh, I guessing with the background in science that that's not a field full of self or socially aware folks. So um, how, how, how are you helping people, especially in the interview front to kind of pick up on some of those things that, uh, you know, your interviewer may ask you questions with the intention of tripping you up and to kind of be on the lookout for things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question as well, because the specifically in terms of interviewing for jobs, um, it's really about how you articulate yourself, how, how you articulate your answers to the questions you're being asked, making sure you're giving specific examples. I wouldn't say I find a lot, but quite often when I'm talking with a candidate um, and, uh, you know, you, you can find candidates can be quite vague in their answers and you, are, you ask a question. I've, honestly, I've had this quite a lot of times even with talking with a candidate you ask a question and then nine minutes later they're still talking <laughs> you know and then you, you've actually got to stop them and to be honest with you i can't believe i let it run for nine minutes but i have <laughs> so um as yeah it's really being concise straight to the point with your with your interview answers um that's that's really the key thing being specific yeah. Um, sorry. And what was the other part to that question? No, that, that's a good answer. Just the ability to recognize that when you should be the person to take the lead in the conversation versus, I mean, there's yeah. such a, the other thing is there's a real power imbalance in an interview or interviewee situation that, you know, the interviewee can be completely prepared. They can have everything ready, but the interviewer might just be having a bad day. So it's just being, you know, being willing to, to kind of do the dance or to play the role. Yeah, and, exactly. You got to do the dance because what you're, you're in sales, right? So what do you, what do you find? Uh, well, first, I, I think that the the cold calling point that you mentioned is spot on, because while it's something that most people dread and have this terrible picture of now, you know, I, I've had some unpleasant conversations, but nobody's ever, uh, you know, really threatened me or hung up on me yeah. or, you know, it's it's it could be not right now or leave me alone. And like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So I think that's the first thing that we have this kind of built up in our head that there's these these horrible consequences when it might just be uh, a few seconds of awkwardness. And then ultimately, the best some of the best advice I got around cold calling or that in general is it's a phone call. You can hang it up. They're not they're not standing in front of you. They're not going to, you know, cause you physical harm. It's okay. That was not great, but it's over with. There's no, there's no, it's not a bear that's standing ready to, you know, rip you apart. It's just a phone call. And in most cases, as you said, it'll be at worst, perhaps rude, and it'll be over with. So if you do your homework, you are offering something that's useful to them at the, at the very least, um, you know, you, you've made an offer and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So, uh, the, and I'm rambling, but the best, the, really, really the best advice I ever got was, uh, the saying it was SW four times. It's some will, some won't. So what someone's waiting and it's just like, okay, I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep that in mind that, uh, I've never gonna... heard that. Well, that's quite cool. 
Yeah, that I'm going to shout out Penny Tremblay. Uh, she's in Toronto. She uh, very similar works with uh, people in career changes or really conflict in the workplace. Yeah. And, and that was that was some advice that I got from her. Um, but I, I, I tell you, though, the, the number of times I cold call some, yeah, cold call, especially if I'm trying to get work, a hiring manager or a client, and the number of times at, oh, you know, because I'm just trying to think normally, hey, you know, it's Chris from X. How are you? And normally you say, is it a good time to speak? And quite, the number of times, almost every time they go, I'm just about to go into a meeting. And so what I ended up starting to do, it's, it, you know, it actually worked quite effectively would be, you know, hey, it's Chris from X. How, you know, um, how are you? Rather than say, is it a good time to speak? I would actually say, I imagine I've called you at the worst possible time. And people, people almost go, what? No, no I mean, I, I am just about to go into a meeting, but, you know, um, <laughs> I've got I've got a few minutes, and even the times when people go, oh no, why is it the worst possible time? I'd say, well, there's a pandemic going on, you know, or it could be something like that, you know. Or you, another one is you just say, I imagine you're just about to go into a meeting, and then they laugh, and then the conversation goes from there. Yeah, that's that's another good point. And then I, I the other thing to think about there is, you know, even if it's a cold call, it's like they did answer their phone. So whether or not it is a bad time or you are bothering them, they could have simply just not answered. So the fact they picked exactly. it up is, exactly. is why do you answer your phone if it's such a bad time? Yeah. Um, well, a kind of related, and this is a bad pun, but uh, with cold calling, I wrote it down, and I have to ask you about it. What was the winter in a, in Antarctica like? Winter in, oh, down in Antarctica, traveling yes. down there. Well, um, I was down there during the, so I've been down there three times. Okay. So all, all during the summer. So okay, the, the summer, first okay. Two, so um, a bit of a story here, but when I was going through and I was doing my master's in marine biology, um, one of the the fellow teachers, lecturers, he, did, he specialized in Antarctic research. And I'd go to him and I'd, my research wasn't specific on Antarctica. It was, it was something out there. You know, it, was, it was around sea anemones. Um, but I'd go and ask him and get his opinion. And, and then, you know, I'd be like, oh, if there's ever a time, you know, you need an extra person for Antarctica, I'm available. And you go, oh, I'll keep you in mind. And there was, there was a number of occasions where, well, not a number. There was maybe two occasions where I was this close, I was so close to going, but they went for someone else purely for logistics. And one year, a third time, he actually said to me, he goes, if the trip's going this year, you're going. I le he legit said that to me. Then six weeks later, when I followed up, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, I never said that. You 100% said that. Anyway, I never thought after that, I never thought I was actually going to go to Antarctica, which was my dream. That was that was my one goal in life. Then I ended up um, working for this company developing a, a deep sea crab fishery, and we went out to sea for you know ten to fourteen days at a time, catching crabs as, as weird as that sounds. And then you know something on the boat would break down, so we'd spend a few day, a few more extra days in port. But the the crab fishery didn't take off um, because the you know, we weren't catching enough crab to fund it. The boat kept breaking down. So one of the directors of that crab company was involved with the 
Antarctic toothfish fishery in Antarctic, you, you might know it as Chilean sea bass, hmm. if you've heard of that. Yes. They call it Chilean sea bass because if they call it Antarctic toothfish, you know, <laughs> it's got bad connotations. So I more went down in a, in a data management capacity. So I went down on the, you know, the, I went down the first time for about three months, um, saw up. Icebergs didn't didn't actually get to see the continent, but you know that scratched my itch. I thought that's that's great. I've been down there, had this amazing experience. Worked with fishing fishermen for three months, which is an experience of its own. And then came back with a big wad of money, went traveling, came home, um, got called up to go again. So I went went down again, and this time we actually got so far in, I could see the continent. We were we were about four days steam away from Chile compared to 19 days steam away from New Zealand. So we we're actually, you know, we we're only a stone's throw away from, from Chile, really. But I thought, sweet, I've seen the continent. That's, a, a, you know, that's, that's awesome. That's all I wanted. And then I just happened to, one day, I just happened to, to rock up to my old university. This is like, six months later and um one of that that former lecturer slash teacher his phd students were you know i was going up to catch up with him for a coffee and he said to me he goes what are, what are you doing this summer i was like you know no no real plans just I suppose looking looking for work and he said we owe you a trip to antarctica do you want to come do you want to fly down and i went yep of course. So I went, so we flew down from New Zealand, um, ended up spending about a month in Antarctica, you know, two weeks. Cause you do about a month, you do about a week of, um, getting acclimated in terms of, you know, doing a sleep out outdoors and, and getting used to it before you actually go into the field. And so we spent about, um, I, spent, I think we spent about two two and a half weeks out in the field and doing ice core drilling, running these experiments. Um, you know, the the Barn Glacier was literally, you jump on a, um, they're called skidoos, like a snowmobile and drive over to the Barn Glacier and you can get the ice that's fallen off. You can, you go and collect that. That's your drinking water. And there was icebergs, you know, icebergs frozen into the, into the, um, the frozen seawater so you can climb in through you're not meant to but you climb in through the icebergs and had a helicopter ride we flew all the way up it was about an hour and a half's flight up to another where we were based it was by robert falcon scott's hut so he was one of the you know i don't know how familiar you are but um he was one of the first real pioneers and explorers of of antarctica and had a race with ronald mudson to get to the south pole Ronald de Mudson, who was a Norwegian guy, actually beat him. Um, but we were camped right outside Robert Falcon Scott's hut, um, which I can't remember the name of the bay. But anyway, it, it's, you know, it was an hour and a half flight up to Terranova Bay where there's an Italian base and just, you, you just, it's just photos the whole time, videos. And just, a mate, just incre on a blue sky day, you know, it's just incredible. It's, Honestly, it's probably been one of that's probably been one of the highlights of my life. And then um 
Ironically, the American base is literally from where the New Zealand base is. The American base is only a five-minute drive over the hill. So you can do these little excursions over to McMurdo, McMurdo base, and they've got all the frosty ice cream, soft serve ice cream you can eat. As honestly, as one of the best experiences of my life. Well, I can tell the passion, excitement you talk about as you talk, recount the tale. So I was going to ask if it was indeed the experience that you hoped it was being your top yeah. goal, but I, I can clearly see that that was the case. Um, I got a bit carried away there, so I apologize. No, not at all. I, I loved hearing about it. You paint a great picture. Was um, what, what do you miss about kind of those days uh, being, you know, being a scientist working in that environment and working with, with, you know, with fishermen being away for two months, three months, 14 days, all, you know, a long time away from being home. Anything do you miss? I think honestly, when you go away for, you know, three months on fishing boats, it's, it's the best feeling is that is when you get back and you step off the boat. It's, it's almost as if you've made, you've survived. You've made it. <laughs> yeah. That I, to be honest, I, like I say, I had some great experiences. I, I wouldn't say I look back and miss any of it. Um, just because I think I'm always looking to the future and new challenges and, and things like that, such as the book. Um, and, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do long-term and set up a, a career coaching business to help more people um yeah so I, I wouldn't look yeah there's i wouldn't look back and say there's anything specific specific that i miss i i think i'm just grateful that i had those experiences especially antarctica you know like i say that i've done a bit of traveling um but the fact that i went to antarctica i think it really scratched that itch and i don't have a huge drive to to you know travel to to too many other places i think if if there is one thing that i look back on you know have not many people get to go to antarctica right and really in life um but it's it's about and i think i did it without realizing realizing it but it's about if there's a goal that you want in life and it does seem quite far away it's still important to position you it's about positioning that's what I think back to you know I, I kept without realizing it I kept positioning myself and that's through you know building relationships and um doing good work and and pursuing with with my goal and and through that positioning the opportunity came to actually go to Antarctica so I know a lot of people talk about manifesting things and things like that, but for me, I feel like it's more about you're you're almost positioning yourself. Yeah, that I like the way you describe it there, and especially with the the sights forward that to enjoy the experience and look at them fondly, but to kind of always push forward and, and yeah. to look ahead. Um, kind of with that in mind, somehow we are already at time. Uh, where Fine. can our where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you and? Um, the book is on Amazon, so I'll post there. Anywhere else that they can find the book if they're looking for it? Um, I've just got the book on Amazon for the time being. So there should be a link in the description. Um, 
if people want to reach out, I've, I do have a website. It's the careerquest.org, the careerquest.org. Um, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and add me as well as a connection. Um, but yeah, happy, you know, yeah, happy to, to connect with anyone and, and have a chat, you know. Excellent. So we'll post all those, especially as uh, anybody who's gets a chance to check out the book or to connect with you and kind of work with you as they as they go forward in their career journey. As people are always going to need help with their resumes and uh, preparing themselves for uh, for that next Absolutely. job. So you'll be in high demand. Um, my last question, Chris, is there anything tonight that I didn't ask you that I probably should have? Mm. I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of stuff in 30 minutes. It's gone super quick. That's, that's honestly, I got carried away at times. So <laughs> no, you tell, you tell great it's stories. It's almost the, the easiest thing to, yeah. It's like the easiest topic in the world is to talk about yourself. Right. And when you've got good stories, and as you said, not many people have ventured to Antarctica. So the fact that you've been there and can talk fondly about it and paint quite a vivid picture, our listeners are going to enjoy that. So Chris, thank you very much for joining us. And I look forward to doing this again. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me.